Holy moly, everybody. What a day slash weekend slash week in the NFL. Massive breaking news on the eve of the trade deadline. Injury-related, trade-related, uh, and then those games yesterday too, right? Not as expected in many ways. Four backup quarterbacks won against Tom Brady, uh, against the Bengals, who took out about 40% of the field in ESPN's Eliminator Challenge when they lost to the Jets, a very popular survivor pick uh, that is not so popular today. So lots to talk about on the NFL Roadshow on the Monday of week eight. I'm Lindsay Rhodes. Let's start with the trade, a blockbuster. And of course it involves the Rams who are, I think, never going to participate in a draft again and be perfectly fine with that. They sent two second day picks to the Broncos for Vaughn freaking Miller, which from a football standpoint, I'm like giddy thinking about what that defense is going to look like. First though, the deal itself, which if I was a Rams fan, I could not love this front office anymore. The general sense of we have a good team and we're going to be given the best chance to win it all. We're not just going to compete. We're going to aggressively go for it. That is all you can ask for as a fan. And Les Snead has delivered on that at every single turn. This time, taking an awful salary cap situation that seemingly put them out of the running for the former Super Bowl MVP in Denver and eight-time Pro Bowl linebacker and finding a way to get him anyway. They had roughly $5 million with which to work. His remaining salary is upwards of $9 million. So they effectively worked out a deal for the Broncos to buy a pick from L.A., Rams sending a second and a third, and the Broncos agreeing to pay the remaining balance of the contract for Vaughn. So now the Rams have Vaughn Miller, who hasn't been the best version of himself this year, no, but still ranks 15th out of 59 qualifiers in pass rush win rate at the edge, with Aaron Donald, who ranks number one in pass rush win rate at defensive tackle, Leonard Floyd, who's ninth in the league in pressure, and Sebastian Joseph Day, who has one of the best NFL's best run-stop rates, and who, by the way, went out yesterday, was replaced by Greg Gaines, who finished the day with the highest pass-rush win rate of the day for the NFL. (laughs) And they also have Jalen Ramsey. It's almost unfair, and yet that is what we're looking at moving forward, most immediately against the Titans this week, on Sunday Night Football in Los Angeles, the Titans who will not have Derrick Henry. And that, of course, is the other big story of the day, week, year. He is out with what they think is a broken bone in his foot. He's going to have surgery on that foot in the morning. Okay, according to Ian Rappaport, he says they're expecting them back this season, him back this season. He says that the timeline for this type of injury is normally within the six to 10 week range. But The orthopedic surgeon that I work with on DirecTV's Fantasy Zone, Dr. Mark Addix, is a little bit less optimistic. He says that the return to play rate for NFL players with this specific injury is 6 to 14 weeks, but that the athletes that returned before 10 weeks had a much higher incidence of refracture. So generally, they returned in the 9, 10, 11, 12-week range, which for context, 10 weeks would be week one of the playoffs, for what it's worth. In the meantime, looks like the Titans are going to bring in Adrian Peterson. They signed him to the practice squad with the plan to elevate him to the roster. Also out for a while, James Winston. And when I say for a while, I unfortunately mean the rest of the year. And who knows after that, it was the worst case scenario in this particular case. It's a torn ACL and there's damage to the MCL, a massive bummer for him. And so we'll see what the Saints do at that position moving forward with Taysom Hill, who is still in the concussion protocol at this moment from a hit on October 10th against Washington. They also have Trevor Simeon, who came in and played pretty well in Jameis's place in that win against the Bucks on Sunday. Uh, Josina Anderson is reporting that they're not going to go after Cam Newton. And in fact, Jeff Duncan, who covers the team for the Times-Picayune, tweeted Monday that Peyton did not sound like a coach who was interested in bringing in a quarterback from outside the building. I should mention they also have another quarterback inside the building I haven't mentioned yet. That's Ian Book. They've carried him all year long on the 53 because they didn't want to subject him to waivers. So one would assume that they did that for a reason. And by the way, it's worth pointing out that is rare 
carrying four quarterbacks on the active roster, if you do that and you still trade for someone when your number one guy goes down, that's probably not a very good look. I'm sure there was a reason for them carrying that many quarterbacks. So is that everything? Sam Darnold's in concussion protocol. Vikings defensive end Daniil Hunter's out for the rest of the year with a torn pec. Uh, This one's pretty under the radar, but perhaps notable to those of you who play fantasy football in particular. Washington center Chase Roulier. Early diagnosis for him is a fractured fibula. Why am I telling you this? Because he is the number one center in the league in run block win rate this season. And Antonio Gibson is already underperforming. So the loss of Roulier coupled with the other offensive line injuries that they've been dealing with there in Washington probably won't help matters in that department anytime soon. Anyway, I got that stat about Roulier from the Twitter feed of my guest today, a great follow on Twitter. If you, like me, cannot get enough information about this sport that we love, his name is Seth Walder. He is an analytics writer for ESPN, and the reason that I reached out to him initially was because of the FPI rankings that they're putting out after every day of games. FPI, of course, standing for Football Power Index. He doesn't do the list. A computer does the list in a way that is predictive. It's how good the model thinks that teams will be moving forward. So this week's list was out before the Von Miller trade and the Derrick Henry news. They were not taken into account, um, but they did take into account uh, the Jameis injury. I will tweet out the list at at on Lindsay underscore Rhodes. That's my Twitter handle. So you can follow along if you want. I'm visual, so I need that kind of thing. So anyway, we talk about the list. I think there are some teams that are not in places that you would particularly expect. We also talk about a few other analytics-driven things that come up. Uh, it's just a conversation between a couple of dorks, you know, one of which is a lot better at math <laughs> than the other one. I hope you enjoy it. Let's break the huddle. Oh yeah, let's go! Two on, two on, two. Ready? Ready? The thing I love about analytics and people who like live in this space is that it has, there's so much information out there that I wouldn't even think to look for. And I feel like I've become such a smarter football fan in the last couple of years, as this has become more and more readily available, all these different stats and numbers and things that I'm now finding myself looking for in games. And so this is uh, an hour or so that I'm really looking forward to geeking out. Um, and and uh, looking at these teams in a smarter way. So thank you so much for making yourself available. No, thank you for being here. I'm I'm pumped up. And and listen, even though I live in that world, I, like I feel the same way. Like there's so much information. And what happens to me a lot of times on Sunday nights is I'll just that's when like the data starts to come in right from that week's day games. And I started just looking at numbers and all of a sudden it's two in the morning and I'm like, Oh my God, like you gotta, you gotta go to sleep, but it's all the fresh numbers. You want to look at it. Do you have a process in that sense? Are there like games that you're like that game I'm really interested in. So I'm going to go look at those numbers first, or do you have like a, a checklist that you go down after the games or. I wish it were more like, organized or so we have more organized it's more just like ooh, i wonder if you know yeah. this guy did something now i like I, what i do do is definitely like look at specific stats like i'll definitely look at our our win rates for the week and just see like oh is there like an edge rusher that pops this week or something like that that you, you know if you're just watching all the games simultaneously you might see a sack or two but to get a sense of which guy play after play had success that day. That's really hard to do if it's not the standalone game. So that's, that's how I see, you know, that's how, what I'm looking for right away. Or like pass block rate or run block rate. Cause I mean, I don't know about you. I don't know who's watching the offensive line and going, you know, that guy's winning every single down. Like, I mean, maybe there are some offensive linemen out there like that, that watch, but, and I think a lot of us now are watching, you know, like on red zone, that type of thing. So we're not sitting and taking in a full game. So you don't have the benefit. It's such a fun way to watch football because you do have a sense of all of the games, which I think is how most of us watch it now. Like you might be, if you're a hardcore football fan, you want to sit and watch your team. But even when you're not watching your team, you want to watch all of the teams because you're tracking it for fantasy football or for gambling or whatever drives you um, as a fan. But I find that I miss out on some of the the trends, the things that are happening throughout the game that are actually leading to the kind of success that we're um, 
that we're celebrating on those big plays or the big wins or things like that. Okay. So you mentioned, um, the, like, uh, pass rush rate, that kind of stuff. Like what, what did pop to you yesterday when you started going through the numbers? Greg Gaines backup defensive tackle for the Rams who was filling in for Sebastian Joseph day had the number one pass rush win rate among defensive tackles yesterday. And like, I wouldn't have ever like known that in any possible way. And I'm looking through, you know, I like first thing I do check the edge rushers, miles Garrett had a huge day. Okay. I saw that. Like I mm-hmm. saw that he's been great all year, not unexpected. And then flip over the defensive tackles and Greg Gaines comes in and has a monster day. You know uh, I'm not sure if he had more playing time because also because it was a blowout as well, but uh, like granted it was against Houston, but uh, hey, I mean, that's a guy who gets an opportunity and that that just sort of shows up, right? Quinton Williams was number two. And uh, I think we saw that, that the Jets pass rush had a pretty good day. But yeah, that's like one of those things where it's you just sometimes you just don't. These players come into I see something that I just wasn't expecting, right? Or I really like to me, the win rates are something that I'm so thankful for because it's like just put an awareness on for me of like, a whole slew of players uh, like from guards to defensive tackles that I think we, we have a general sense of like reputationally who's good, but just like any other position, these guys have like huge, huge days or a star player might have an off day. Like that happens on the offensive line, just like it happens at wide receiver or quarterback. And so to me, that's really cool. And I can look through and see, see some guy that just popped one day because he had a great day there were some other people that I think uh, were not expected to play particularly well yesterday that did at the quarterback position that everyone's going to talk about uh, four backup quarterbacks that actually came out and one Mike white uh, for the jets, who I think, by the way, um, you mentioned Quinn and Williams. I think that team single-handedly took down a lot of survivor leagues yesterday. The Bengals, a very, very popular pick. And then you have Trevor Simeon, who came in for New Orleans, and then Cooper Rush from Dallas, and then Geno Smith, who played great for Seattle. Which one had the most impressive outing? Here's the thing about the Mike White game. that okay. like, That's one is the, the most interesting to me, actually, because it's like... So he throws 400, 400 yards. Only Cam Newton did that in his, in his debut, like really impressive from a volume standpoint. And definitely like, I, I hate to even throw cold water on this because those poor Jets fans have had so little going for them. But I think there's a couple of things with that game. It was, it was a high volume game, but like when we look at his QBR, it wasn't very good. It was, it was average, um, which is for two reasons. It was a rate stat. It's a rate stat. So if the volume isn't going to help. And the other thing is that the Wait, why isn't volume going to help? It's going to help. But like, what I mean is that when we add, when we have a, when you have a 400 yard game, if it comes over a ton of plays, that's less impressive than if you have uh, like, there were, he had a lot of, I don't remember the number of pass attempts he had or the number of action plays, which would include like scrambles and penalties. And, um, but it was high. It was high. Okay. So like we had, we have to, it's like a denominator, you know, it's a, a fraction. So uh, and then the other thing is that the air yards. So he averaged 3.7 air yards per attempt. Yesterday. That is really low. It was 3.7. Really yeah, really low. And and like on one hand, he his so he had an 82% completion pro- percentage yesterday, which is good, right? And even if you account for how short his passes were, that yeah. was good. But 3.7 yard air yards on average is really low to me. Like that's, that's like, I'm thinking that was a nice game yesterday, but before we anoint this guy, I would need to see him throw down the field a little bit, a little bit more than that. It's Um, so interesting though, because I I would, so first of all, I would never have thought that the Jets were going to have a chance against the Bengals period. Then you insert the scenario where uh, it's a backup quarterback. It's not even your first round draft pick that's going up against them. It's this guy that most people hadn't even heard of a week prior when he goes in. Like I learned live that Mike White was the backup for Zach Wilson. And so he comes in and uh, I don't know. I I would have never, never, never predicted that the Jets were going to win this game. So that's interesting. I think what you're telling me, but yeah, it was a lot of, so Michael Carter, the most targeted 
player on that team with 14 targets, nine catches that right there without even really going much further and looking at the numbers is going to tell you what those passes look like seeing as how it's a running back. Right. Exactly. That's right. And I I will say, uh, I don't know if this is good news or bad news for the jets, but like, so within FPI, which is like our predictive team model, we have a, a quarterback factor. So who the quarterback is matters. And after yesterday's performance, we now have it that currently the jets are about a half point better off with Mike White than with what? Zach Wilson. Yes. That um, and I mean Zach Wilson is I, I don't know how to say this. Zach Wilson has been very has not played quarterback well this year. I mean, and it would start, it obviously started at a place where Zach Wilson would be higher than Mike White, but all it's seen, all the model has seen is poor performance from Zach Wilson this year. It actually would rank them Joe Flacco one, Mike White two, Zach Wilson three right now. Uh, which might be the opposite of what their healthy depth chart is. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think in either way is good, right? I, I don't know. I mean, the Jet, if you're a Jets fan, you should want Zach Wilson to be way better than, than Mike White. But, you know, if Zach Wilson were starting next week, we would have the Jets as being like a half point worse against the Colts than, than having Mike White. Uh, granted, it's one game, which means that there's a lot of variance in there. Like if Mike White comes out and plays poorly next week, it's going to react fast again. But that is, I don't know that it is interesting to me, you know, that you have this number two pick and it's, it's right now, it's not clear who, who the better guy is. It doesn't mean long-term that that's necessarily the truth. The truth though. So I, since you brought up the FPI rankings, you guys release these after every day that there's a game and there are some interesting variances in your list to most of the power rankings lists that we're going to end up seeing around the league. Um, let's go through some of the things that jump out at me here. Um, number one, I guess is your number one team because, uh, while I think almost everybody has them in their top five or somewhere in that neighborhood, um, the bills at this point, I don't think are going to be many number ones. Why does this, this list have the bills so high? So Buffalo, I I don't think they were great yesterday against Miami. They really let Miami hang around that game. And FBI doesn't, doesn't think Miami is particularly good, nor does anybody else with Buffalo. I think it's, it's really about the defense. I mean, it's not, it's not really about the defense. It's about both. It's about being good on both sides of the ball, but they are having such a strong defense. And to me, the number that, that really solidified it for, for me on Buffalo, this is is like a stale number. It's like two weeks old. So I should, I should, uh, I should check it again, but like, at least as of two weeks ago, even if we took away plays that were interceptions and fumbles um, from all teams, the Buffalo still ranked number one at the time in EPA per play. Uh, defense. I, I bet that's probably still true or at least top three. And so the reason why I bring that up is because like, they're not, they have gotten turnovers, but they're not just turnover reliant to be a, a good defense. So they're a great defense overall. And then, and then the offense, like they haven't even hit their ceiling. Um, so, and a little bit of that is built in there, right? So like with, with FPI, the way it works is you have this preseason rating and then it updates with new information as we play games. But okay. the preseason rating, like it, it, de- it decays basically and how important it is, but it never totally goes away. The Bills, it thought were going to be a very good team and a very good offense. So it's going to assume that the Bills offense will be a little bit better going forward than it has been so far. Got it. So um, until the evidence on the field completely overwhelms what we thought was going to be true and proves it completely wrong. That's going to continue to be a variable toward the end of the season. One would assume that that's weighted much it's, lower. It's, right? It never totally goes away, but it's just it's just a very small factor at the end. So what jumped out at me last week in these rankings was that the Bengals were, I think, sixteen, yeah. and that felt shockingly low to me. And that was because their preseason ranking was so low, and they hadn't yet overcome that. Is that true? Uh, that is true. And then the other factor was that their defense has been better than their offense and offense is more predictive, like week to week than defense. So if you've been a good defense, then 
you probably will be a good defense going forward, but we're less sure about that than if you have been a good offense. Um, Why is it that defense is so um, volatile like that? Is it just related to turnovers? What, what makes defense so volatile? I don't understand that entirely. I think, I'm not sure I have a perfect answer to this, but my hypothesis would be that the quarterback, basically like you have a singular player on offense that is really important to the entire unit and he's going to stay the same. He's going to touch the ball on, uh, you know, every play and he's going to be some sort of like consistent factor. Whereas you just don't have a, a singular person like that on defense that can affect the game week in, week out to that degree. That's what I would think. Well, and then I would assume too, maybe I'm wrong, but the quarterback that you're facing defensively, right? Like if you're facing a Tom Brady, that's going to change the way that you look defensively to a degree, as opposed to if you're playing, I don't know, Tua or. Right. I, it's crazy. I, I, I would have said probably one of these backup quarterbacks, uh, (laughs) you know, three days ago, but uh, they actually played pretty well yesterday. Okay. So let me back up a little bit about the FBI rank FPI rankings. What would you say is the primary difference in the way that it's decided who goes where for this list, um, compared to some of the other power rankings that we see? So I think that the two things are going to be when it's determining production, from a unit level, like offense, defense, special teams, it's doing it on an expected points added per play basis. So it's going to look at, so what that means is basically like, we're thinking about this from contextualizing with down and distance. It's not just looking at total volume of, like we talked about before, like 400 yards can mean a lot of different things depending on how that was accumulated. Um, so there's, there's that, that factor, which is like, it might come in line with like yardage per game, but it's not, but it's, there are going to be differences from yardage per game or, or points per game. Um, offense defense factors, like I mentioned, or even like the most extreme example would be like special teams. Like if you have a really good special teams performance, kick return for a touchdown, or, or it doesn't even have to be a touchdown, right? Like you don't have to score the points, but if you return it 80 yards, that's a huge special teams uh, play that's super on that. That is like awesome for you on that day, but it is not predictive going forward. And so it's really not going to put much weight in that. Like, okay, cool. You returned a kick for a touchdown. That was seven points. Like that's, that's awesome that we think that that's worth like, I don't know, 0.1 points, you know, going forward. Like it's worth almost nothing to you. What if you consistently do that kind of thing? What if you consistently are the best, but okay. I mean, is that that true? Nobody. I mean, I, mean, I know well, they're not returning, you know, like we're not seeing kick six. Right. We're not seeing like kickoff return touchdowns every single week. So I guess to that degree, it's true. But you do have some special teams units that are consistently better than others, don't you? Yeah. So like, so I, I, I'm I'm exaggerating. Like we do have special teams ranges from like right now we have the bills at plus 0.7 points to the chargers at minus 0.8 points. So that's like a point and a half per game between the best and worst teams. The chargers are the worst and the bills are the best. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think the chargers being worse, just like feels right. <laughs> all, all is right in the universe. So the- let's move on hard. <laughs> Ouch. I'm, I'm a new chargers fan I, as of like four weeks ago. So I can't let you talk about my team like that. <laughs> it's just, it just comes with the territory, you know? Just, <laughs> um, no, I think, you know, there's, there's some consistency. Like Justin Tucker breaks every, every rule we have about kickers. And I don't know, we didn't have FPI in the Devin Hester era, but I wonder what it, what it might've said uh, about, about his returns. So uh, yeah. So like those factors, I think the other thing would just be um, opponent adjustments. Um, and, and I think too, like with margin of victory, it's not margin of victory, but, but it, when I think about EPA, like think about the Eagles yesterday, right? Like they beat up on the lions. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people would say that's, it's not that impressive, right? The lines are very good, which is true. But like, what was the spread in that game? Three and a half, I think. So if the spread is three and a half and you win by 38, okay. Like that, that you, we obviously were on, you know, that we obviously think higher of the Eagles today than we did, than we did previously. And so I think, I think that's one of those things where it's like, even when you're playing bad teams, this is a big thing for us for our college model too. Even when you're playing bad teams, we can still draw information from that. And last much- thing on this. 
Yeah, which is just, which is like when we're updating FPI, it's all about comparison to expectations. So if the Chiefs win tonight, we're you know we're recording this on on Monday. If the Chiefs mm-hmm. win tonight by a field goal, that would lower what we most likely, assuming it's like a normal game, none of the crazy. That would lower what we think of the Chiefs, even though they win the game. And that doesn't tend to happen with like traditional power rankings where you can go down after after winning or go up after losing. We talk about parity in the NFL. And to your point about the Eagles and the Lions, that actually shocked me based on the way that the Lions had played against the Rams. I was picking the Lions in a win against the Eagles because they hadn't been that impressive. So the fact that the Eagles won as handily as they had and didn't even need Jalen Hurts to do his fourth quarter thing was shocking to me. But I also wondered going into the game whether the Lions would play the Eagles the same way that they played the Rams. I thought the thing they had going for them in that game was how aggressively they came out as if they were massive underdogs and they needed to take possessions away. And so my concern going in was whether they would think that they could play the Eagles a little bit more straight up and whether that would hurt them because they aren't as talented. When we talk about parity in the NFL, is there as much parity as we think there is, or do the numbers tell a different story? Is it like any team could win on any given day if if a team doesn't have their best day? Or is there um, a little bit more room for error for those teams that have proven over and over again that they are better than the others? The difference between the best team and the worst team in the NFL is worth like 19 points on a neutral field. That's a lot. I mean, we would That's probably- That's a make... lot. Is it really? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I mean, so- I mean, the Rams were just what 16 and a half point favorites over Houston on the road. So uh, we have, yeah, we would have bills over Texans as 19 at on a neutral field. So kind of right in that same ballpark. Um, that is a lot. I mean, I, I, we translate to, I'm not sure what we would have the, like going into that game. I don't know. That probably creates to like a 90, 90, 93% chance to win or something like that. I feel like the, the biggest numbers that we ever see are kind of in that five to 6% or lowest numbers to win a game would be like five to 6% chance to win, which like, I guess is compared to what in college football, there's many, many games that are 99, 99% chance to win 1% chance to win. So wow. it's not, it's nothing, it's nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously like we, there's no, there's no baseball game that would ever get to be that extreme as extreme as the NFL. Back to the FPI rankings, they're clearly one of the big differences is that I think a lot of people are just doing the rankings based on like they're almost their gut, you know, Mm -hmm. like, so my eyes tell me that this team is good and that this team is bad and I'm going to create a ranking here, you know, that's not really rooted in anything that like a metric or something tangible other than records, perhaps. Um, So the fact that you guys are plugging in all of these different data points That's one thing. But another thing is that yours is predictive. It's not who has been the best so far. It is who is going to be the best moving forward. Who stands out to you as somebody using that specific um, prism to look at the teams through? Who, Who ranks lower than we would expect because you don't expect them to continue to be good? Okay. Um, the team that I think, let me let me give you the opposite, and that while I stall and think of the lower, because I thought you were going to say which is the <laughs> underrated team, and that and then okay, I'll, I'll let's do that. Let's with. start there. Yeah, for sure. Who would which, which Seattle um, is better than so, than we're giving them credit for? Yeah, so we have them at ninth, which I think I think people would find surprising. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent, yes. Okay. Here's the number. I think we've already written them off for the year and we're like, okay, what are they going to do next season when Russell Wilson is healthy and goes somewhere else potentially? And will I mean, we're done, right? Like the the majority of us. Not so sure. I'm not so sure here. We have them ninth and that's including us saying it's like, it's sort of looking at the rest of the season. That's they saying next game after their buys 50, 50 between Gino and Russell Wilson next game, like 75% Russell Wilson. And then it assumes Russell Wilson after that. So if Russell Wilson comes back, we would be even just a smidge higher than that. Here's why they jump out to me. Their numbers on first and second down versus third down are so absurdly different. 
They are so much better on first and second down. They've been really bad on third down. So like their EPA, offensive EPA numbers, I'm going to pull it up while, while I talk. If you just look at first and second down, they are third in EPA per play this season. If you look at third down, they are, I think it's 30th. What? 31st. 31st in EPA per play. Now here's the thing. Explain that. Okay. So the reason why, so I want the reason why that makes me think that this is a reason why FBI is more bullish is because like third down has a much higher effect, right? Like whatever you do on third down matters so much more than, than the other downs. But it's also a smaller number of plays than first and second down. So what we're saying is like they've been good on first and second down. Um, and then it's it's really cost them on third down. But if you look at all of them sort of like equally, like how good are they just on a on on all their plays, they're doing pretty well. Um, and so, or they're doing sort of like more, they're doing better than we think, better than you might think. Um, and so to me, that says like, is there something, is there a reason why they should be really bad on third down in EPA per play? So it's like not, that's already taking into account the distance. It's not a matter of like, well, they're facing more third and sevens or something like that. Like it's already, it's already taking that into account. And I don't see any reason why they should like with Russell Wilson at quarterback, you know, those receivers, I I, I don't see a reason why they should be worse than that. So to me, are they doing something different on first and second than they are on third? I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure if there's a reason. This is something I looked at this morning. So this is a, this is a, a young theory, but uh, like, I, I'm not entirely sure, but to me, that doesn't, it just, it just says that they're probably better than we, than like what they've, what the, what they've done. So I think, I think Seattle is that way. I do think that the, the, the answer to this question, to the inverse question, like who is better. So a few <laughs> weeks ago, the chargers really stood out um, as a team that we were low on. And like, to the point where I was like, Oh, I don't know. We seem real low on the chargers. I don't know um, if I can defend this. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this one. And, uh, and I think it was kind of the inverse situation. They were, ha- they were actually having a ton of success on fourth down. Um, like not just that they were going for it, but that then they were converting so much on fourth down and the leverage is so high when you do that. Right. Like, so if you get those fourth downs, but it's, but you know, no one's going to hit fourth downs at an incredible rate. And so right. if you start to not get those, you start to just get them at an average rate, then it changes the the viewpoint of, uh, of, of who we, of like who you are going forward, I guess I should say. The Chargers, by the way, since you brought them up, lost. Uh, there were, uh, I think, reasons to be concerned about Justin Herbert's performance in that game, and yet they went up two spots in the FPI rankings. Well, yes, that's true, but um, the so I think that had that had more to do with teams around them. So, like the. Vikings, Vikings, which dropped. went down five. That's a good point. Colts yeah, the dropped. Colts. So yeah, so that they actually basically didn't move the Chargers um, after that game uh, or yesterday. So like in terms of their their rating, but yeah, it, a lot of times it has something more to do with um, like where yeah, what the teams around you moving. Um, did the Saints drop? No. The, okay. Yeah. So like this, actually, no. Saints dropped. The Saints three. dropped, even though they won, but that's because of James Winston getting hurt, not because of, um, uh, not because of what they did yesterday. Okay. Um, but the Saints didn't drop below the Chargers, so that's actually irrelevant here. That's a little bit interesting to me. I mean, it makes sense because obviously the starting quarterback versus a backup, and then who knows what if they might make a move or if it's going to be, you know, if it's tasting like there's so much. That I think up in the air at that position there for the saints, but it is interesting that somebody like Jameis, who I think most people view as a volatile quarterback and they don't really know what to make of him in terms of the way that he helps the saints anyway, that him getting hurt would drop them three spots in a predictive ranking. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of, there's probably two things going on. Firstly, Jameis 
QBR loves Jameis. I mean, he's fifth in QBR this year, and that's kind of the, the basis of our quarterback rankings. Um, it's always been higher on Jameis than than perception. I think you know a lot why? of that, um, I think a lot of it has to do with the picks that Jameis throws. Like he throws a lot of deep picks. Sometimes they're on third down, um, or maybe even disproportionately on third down. Those are not particularly costly plays. Like the way the model would probably see that is like good risks. Cause you're going to turn the ball over anyway. So if it goes incomplete, you're punting the ball anyway. So what, you know, okay. Yeah. They get a little bit extra field position, 15, 20 yards, maybe, but like you had a chance to make a, to make a big play. So I think it's always, also, by the way, this year, he's not throwing interceptions. Right. People right. Yeah. This is he, like James of the bold. Yeah. People think he still is doing that. People think that he's still out there costing them all these possessions. He's a 13 to three touchdown interception ratio. I don't think most people understand that. I, absolutely. Like I, I would, I said that uh, we, we talk FPI on daily wager, like our betting show. Um, I go on every week to do this. And like, when we, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we were really low on the chargers and we've been really high on the saints. And I said, I said, sort of jokingly, no, mo- no, completely jokingly. But like, I was saying like, you know, Justin Herbert has turned the ball over more than Jameis Winston, just, you know, just saying this year, like it, it is true. Like um, now they didn't, they haven't been super reliant on the pass and QBRs and the right. rate stat and all that, but yeah, that, that is like, there's a, there's definitely a difference from Tampa Jameis to, uh, to new Orleans Jameis. Uh, so, Oh, the other thing here is that when a quarterback doesn't play, it's sort of the model assumes that there there's a, a reason for that. And I think that's a safe assumption, like either you're hurt or someone, or it was determined that someone else is better than you. So, mm-hmm. Like the idea that over this time, the Saints have clearly determined that Jameis Winston's a better quarterback for them than Taysom Hill. Like, mm-hmm. it's like the way that we interpret that is like, that's a clue. We should be listening to that. The Saints are telling us they think they're better off with Jameis Winston. They probably are. So, yeah, you can assume drop off, though, in the case of Mike White, maybe uh, that will be well, proven yeah, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, there are exceptions. There are absolutely exceptions to that. The difference there is that even though Zach Wilson was playing, he just, his rating just kept dropping uh, as the, as time went on. I'm interested in the fact that the chiefs are still number six because Mm -hmm. specifically because this is an analytics driven rankings list and not a, we think that they're good team, you know, like reputationally. And I think that we would all agree looking at their roster, they're one of the best teams in the NFL, but they have not achieved like one of the best teams in the NFL. So do you have any kind of explanation as to why the model still sees them as one of the best teams? It's this tension between the what we call the prior, your prior belief and what the updating, how fast do you update and what have you seen? And, and, and how, how strongly do you hold on to your priors? The priors on the Chiefs are as strong as it gets. We have them as the best team in the league, the best quarterback in the league. That should be that should be, that's pretty strong evidence that they're going to be really good going forward. I think that we've moved. What's interesting to me is that like the betting market has not moved as much here as FPI even. So like FPI would make the chiefs eight point favorites tonight over the giants. Okay. And the, and the, and the line is 10 last I checked. So it's like, even though we've, we've only moved to six, we have not moved them that far. Uh, it like relative to that, we were underrating Kansas city per, perhaps. I think it's, it's, it's really that question. Like how firmly do you hold on to this idea that the chiefs ought to be really good? There's a little bit of a, also that the defense thing going on there, the defense has been horrendous and their offense is still, very good. And, and so the chiefs always have that working in their favor, good offense. It's more, we're, mm. we're more confident that that's going to be, that's going to be remain good. Um, but after week after week, when their defense continues to be poorly, like their defensive rating has drops, 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 drops. Well, and part of the reason that the offense hasn't been good when it hasn't been good is because they're turning the ball over. And one would assume that's because that's a volatile stat, uh, is the model not seeing that as something that will con- continue. Are they seeing that as an anomaly for the offense, the way that they see it for the defense? There's a, to a little bit, a little bit. So like the way that the way the model works is like, it sort of caps the impact of a, 
of a of a play. Like no single play should cost you this uh, like dramatically more. The reason the reason we do that is like if you throw a, an interception and it's returned for an 80 yard touchdown, uh, or if you throw an interception, it's returned for two yards. Like that was a very different play in terms of the effect on the game. But like what you did poorly is probably the same between those two things. Does that make sense? So um, I think a little bit, a little bit, there's a factor of, uh, of turnovers in there. Um, But, you know, the chiefs have been like, if we just look at um, EPA per play, the chiefs have been fifth best on offense this year. That's still pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Now, if the defense can just uh, lower their like number. Not, <laughs> it's like they don't even need – that's the thing. With Patrick Mahomes, you don't even need a good defense. You don't. You probably don't even need an average defense. Like below right. average is fine. What you can't have is what they've been. Yep. What about the Raiders? So mm. I would imagine that Raiders fans do not like this particular set of rankings because they are 21 despite being 5-2. and two. There are a lot of teams ranked ahead of them that I think they would take issue with. <laughs> Why are the Raiders so low? Two things that come to mind are going to be, the first thing is the, the prior. So we didn't think that they were going to be particularly great um, going into the year, which we mentioned. The other factor is strength of schedule. They've had a pretty easy schedule. 26th, they rank in strength of schedule. So um, I don't even know if I mentioned earlier, but opponent adjustments is definitely something that happens within FPI. And so um, there could be a little bit of that going on. To be honest, they're a little bit surprising to me too. Like I look at them and I look at the numbers and it doesn't quite seem to suggest to me that they should be as low as they are. I think the only thing that, that puts me that like gives me pause about it is like, would you take the Raiders over any of those um, AFC North teams? Like what, who would you prefer? Like over the Browns, Steelers, Bengals, who do you think is better that those three teams or the Raiders? Um, I would take the Raiders over the Steelers. Okay. I think, but I don't know. I don't know if that's actually rooted in any kind of fact. Like I fully admit that I am now bringing biases in and I have convinced myself that uh, they didn't make the moves in the off season that I thought were going to benefit them the most. So I'm kind of negative going into the season in that sense. Right. Uh, And then the offensive line isn't outstanding. I think that's problematic. I think Ben is past his prime and they should have made a move at quarterback. I think that's problematic. They have these weapons, but then it's just not coming together. So I don't have this sense of the fact that they're going anywhere. Whereas Mm -hmm. the Raiders, I think it was the opposite type of X. Well, I had a low expectation for them or like a mid mid tier expectation. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect them to be very good. I didn't think that what they had on paper was very good, but I thought that they were building towards something that they weren't declining. And so the fact that they have come out and played better than I expected, I see that as a sign of ascent as -hmm. opposed to when they come out and they play as I'm expecting kind of like the Steelers. I see that as a sign of descent, you know? So I think that that's why my gut tells me that the Raiders should be ahead of the Steelers. Um, The Browns are playing way below my expectations. Yeah. That was a team on paper. I thought was arguably the best team in the NFL, but I don't know. In your opinion is, is what's happening there because of Baker. I am honestly, I need, I am like legitimately confused about what happened in that game yesterday. Like I still need to do a deep dive because here's the number that jumps out to me is the, the win rates between the Browns and Steelers yesterday were completely on opposite ends of the scale. Like the Browns had, um, I'll pull it up, but like the Browns had a great win rate, pass block win rate. They ranked second on the week in pass block win rate and this, and the Steelers ranked second worst on the week in pass block win rate. And so you're talking about the Browns having great protection, getting a great pass rush, and yet they lose this game. And I'm honestly flummoxed as to how that, and and they only give up 15 points. Like I'm flummoxed as to how that, that actually happens. I think it's 
like where, where did it go wrong? There were, some, where? there were some drops, right? I think um, like I, I have to go back and, and and look that look closer at this one, but like that that doesn't make a ton of sense. That doesn't make a ton of sense. And you have given that's about as good of an opportunity as you can really give your team. I mean, you're really setting out yourself up for success. I think when you have like that kind of pass rush, that kind of protection, we we know what they can do with. Um, on the ground running the ball with, with Nick Chubb. Yeah. Like the Jets win was more surprising, but the Browns losing yesterday was like the one that had me like really check what I think about, about a team. I sort of figured they would just, they would just handle business. So that's interesting though, that they won in those important areas and didn't win. So what, when, what have you found in recent years are like those numbers that you think are most predictive that we don't necessarily talk about as much? I think it, I mean, I do think that pass protection really does play a, a big role. So like, that's the one that often jumps out to me. It's not that you can't win with poor pass protection. It's not that you can't lose with it, but it, but it plays such a, an important role. Uh, it's not just about the sacks. Like when you get the passes off, it can still, it's still so much better when you have that protection. And if you look at the, like the correlations between success and, and pass blocking, like they're there, it, it absolutely matters. And so I think that's the big reason that's like maybe the biggest reason why I was so high in the Brown. Like I picked them to win the Super Bowl this year. And what was the reason I thought they had the best line in the league pass protection wise. Like they should, they, that's, that's great. I mean, I thought they had, Odell and Landry and they had they had a bunch of stars on their defense like okay you know I I so to me I thought like yeah it's it's pass protection is the thing that I I often find myself looking at and seeing um like the Rams have great pass have great pass protection this year I think that's helped a lot um the year they went to the Super Bowl they had great pass protection too so so if somebody was trying to figure that out on their own what would they be looking for their pass block rate yeah, well, pass block win rate is what is our okay. is our number. So what what that is is basically um, each we it's the rate at which you sustain your block for two and a half seconds. Um, and so the reason why the time element is crucial is that if you just look at pressure rates, the problem is is that a quarterback who holds the ball for a really long time is going to get under pressure because everyone's going to, every offensive lineman loses eventually. Um, and like the story that my colleague, Brian Burke, when he created the metric that, that we told when we were you know selling this internally at ESPN was like, he started making this stat and he was looking at Joe Thomas. This is before he looked at it from a time element. Um, and Joe Thomas was not looking particularly good in the metric and that's like, you know, it doesn't mean it's necessarily bad, but it's definitely like an eyebrow razor. Yeah. And then he eventually he realized, oh, he's the problem is he's blocking for Deshaun Kaiser and Kaiser's holding the ball for forever. And so eventually everyone loses, even future Hall of Famers. And so you have to put everyone on the same playing field and look at it from that's why two and a half seconds is kind of roughly um, average time to pass uh, a little bit lower than average time to pass. So we just look at it from that that standpoint of do you sustain your block for two and a half seconds? So uh, we do that for individuals and then the whole team. The whole team question is, did anyone lose? Did any of the, did anybody lose within two and a half seconds? Um, and uh, the Browns don't lose that often within two and a half seconds, but um, but they they still lost the game. So yeah, so that's, that's to me, I think uh, like a number that I look at all the, all the time. I mean, all the time. And you, you do tend to see that the stars rise to the top. And then the inverse of that pass rush win rate is just, it's just the opposite. It's just, if you're a, if you're a pass rusher, if you're Aaron Donald, you're Miles Garrett, did you beat your man within two and a half seconds? And that's all through the, you know, the chips and the shoulder pads. And so it's like, basically like geometry. Did you get past your man? I'm really curious to see, um, since we were talking about the Browns, what they do in two ways. One, if they get better as the season goes on, but if they continue playing the way that they're playing right now, where we think that they're good and then it's just not turning out that way on the field. I'm curious to see, well, in the next um, 24 hours, if they do anything yeah. with Odell, right? Cause they're not even using him. He was targeted one time yesterday, which m makes no sense to me. Like I don't understand what's going on 
yes, I think we all understand that Odell's not Odell anymore, but still to just one target, I don't even understand. And then uh, secondarily, more importantly for their long-term success is what they decide to do with Baker Mayfield. Because quarterbacks, as we both know, tend to be really highly valued if you have one that is playable, right? Like you don't even have to be an elite quarterback to get a massive deal because the difference between having a playable quarterback and having a quarterback that you do not feel comfortable playing at all. And you're looking for a new quarterback all the time, like a bad quarterback versus an average quarterback. There's a big difference. So I wonder what the Browns will do this off season, because right now Baker is falling into that average quarterback category to me, but also sometimes kind of dipping into the bad quarterback category more often than into the good quarterback category. And so I wonder if they say we have a really good roster because they have a really good roster. I wonder if they take a gamble and try to go get a good quarterback that might turn into a bad quarterback because of their history. You know, I could see why they would be wary to do that or whether they decide that they're going to pay the average quarterback because average is better than bad. Like I'm, I'm also, I'm really interested too. I, I kind of think, I mean, if you're, if you're the Browns, aren't you looking at this? Like we have set ourselves up for as good of a situation with Baker Mayfield as you possibly can have. Yep. This is it. This is as like, this roster is awesome. Yep. And, and what, what are we doing right now? They're like, they are almost a st- statistical anomaly. They are better in terms of EPA running the ball than passing the ball, which is basically incredibly rare. And that is not a good sign for your quarterback. Like if that, if that's the case. And, and like yeah, we talked we've about convinced analytics people that you should run the ball, that you know, something <laughs> is off. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Like here they are. They're the most analytically advanced franchise in the league and you can't even, and, and they run the ball and, but you can't criticize them for it because they do it. They do it better than they do. They do passing. And to me, that's alarming. Like if I'm, if I'm working for the Browns, I'm thinking that's, that's a problem. Like we know that there's a limited upside to, to running this often. And if, if that's our best move, then um, that's not great. It's all going to, I guess the question are alternatives, but I, I, I tend to come back to if this has got to be about as good of a situation around the quarterback as you can get. And if we can't get it done with this, then I would really, I would, I would definitely lean towards taking a risk, knowing that, knowing that there's like a lower downside for sure, but you got to find that, like you said, you got to find that at least that there's a certain caliber of quarterback you've got to get to. And, and I'm not sure that they've got it right now. I agree with you. You mentioned them being one of the most uh, analytically forward thinking franchises when I look at fourth downs. And by the way, I don't know if you have any kind of numbers from yesterday, but as I was just watching the games, I was like, there are way more fourth down attempts today than I've seen in a very long time. I don't know if that's actually factually true, but it sure felt like it. They were going for fourth, going for it on fourth down just all day long yesterday. And certainly this season, we're seeing a lot more um, fourth down attempts, but I think that the Browns are either one or two. They're right up there with the teams that go for it the most this year on fourth down. They're also up there with the teams, I think them and the lions have the highest number of turnover on downs. Is that an indication that they should not be going for it as frequently as they are? No, that's, I know that's such a funny stat because it's like, it's a bad stat, but it's an indication of good process. Like we've known for a long time that teams are too conservative on fourth down and they ought to be going for it more often. Like the, this is like the numbers have bared that out for, you know, 15 years. This is more or less been a, a solved problem, but, but we're, we're catching up now, right? Like the league is, the league is catching up and the Browns and lions going for it on fourth down as much as they do. That's just like, that's just a good thing. It hasn't worked out for them because, you know, small samples and, um, and whatever, you know, bad luck, but like, but that's good. Like they are, they are definitely doing um, the right thing. I don't have numbers on this week, but Mm -hmm. fourth downs. Yeah. Teams are going for it more. It's actually been like, it's not like a huge spike this year. It's more just been like a steady over time, like over the last, even last like 10 years, like it's really increased. Um, it's really increased over the entire decade, but it's definitely at its highest point than it, than it ever has been. Um, and yeah, the Browns are, the Browns are a really like quantitative forward team. Like I'll, I'll 
plug my work. You know, I do a, a survey every year of analytics staffers around the league, and I just did it um, last month. And, and I ask them to vote on which teams are the most analytically advanced and the Browns were the runaway winner. Um, so that kind of surprises me. I might've thought it was the Ravens. So I did this, this is the second year I've done this. And last year when I did the Ravens uh, one quote unquote one, or the way I ask it, I asked like three questions, like who's the most, which team does the, the highest level of analytics work, which team incorporates analytics the most into its decision-making and then which team is the most advanced overall combining those first two categories. And so um, in both years, the Browns have been, number one in the highest level of work. I think they've had a long, they've had a large analytics staff, like a really well-respected analytics staff for a long time dating back to, you know, even pre Dorsey, right? So like they're the group that was there with Sashi Brown and then they stayed, they were, most of them remained with Cleveland, even through the John Dorsey era and then sort of like returned to prominence again under Andrew Barry. Uh, so they've sort of had this longstanding analytics group. Uh, and then, but but the Ravens, right? Like we can see a lot of what the Ravens do. Harbaugh yeah. has has been so um, aggressive on fourth downs, and they they take advantage of like uh, a lot of sort of obvious obvious edges. I think um, so. We can see that. So anyway, I think it's 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 Browns one, Ravens two. I think it's very clearly like those two teams right now. Yeah. Let me ask you this during the, the course of a game, mm-hmm. are people crunching numbers and doing probabilities and relaying that information to the coaches that use this information, like the Browns and the Ravens? Do you think that they have people who are saying like, like we have people, you know, that we're following on Twitter that pop up like yeah. a, a fourth down situation. The computer says that, that, you know, our recommendation is. Um, high or medium or whatever, go for it in this situation. Um, do you, is that how this is all working with these teams? So yes and no, like um, no, in that they don't, they can't, they don't get data live. So there's not, there's no, there's not, there's no like actual, they are, they like, they get the same data we do, you know, 12 hours after the game or whatever. So um, they, can't do some of like the live things, but they prepare in advance. So like the actual, like the answer is like, are they, when it comes to like these fourth down decisions, I think what they've done is they'll model it out ahead of time. Right. So not just, so especially like, I think even Brandon Staley mentioned this the other day that like their fourth down model, it's opponent specific, which makes sense. Hmm. Um, And so they'll, they'll game out situations. I mean, I don't know the exact process, but it honestly might be like a giant binder. Um, you know, like it has to be something sort of analog, uh, but you can, you can sort of like set out all of these situations, um, and, and use that to determine when you should go for it or not. And I think, I imagine that what teams do is really, it's really third down that you're preparing. So like on a third down, you might say, the way that this is how we output results a lot of times is like, we'll say like, if it's fourth and five or in, then it's a go. And I think that's probably how teams think about it. Yeah. There's probably like a, you know, I don't know if it's a stoplight system, like a strong medium weak, you know, in terms of mm-hmm. like how, how sure are we that you should go? Um, there, there might be something like that, but like, I think, I think there's definitely times when they're thinking like, Hey, if we could, if we could get it, get two more yards, then it becomes a, a fourth down situation, or we, we already know we're going to go for it on fourth down. So it's third and it's third and one. Like, what if we took like a play action deep shot on third and one, because we know we're going to go for it on fourth and one. What have um, you ever found yourself watching a game and, um, and you know what the math says that you should do, and you know, the probabilities in a vacuum, what they say, right. Or not necessarily a vacuum, still opponent specific, all that but it hasn't taken into account um, anything that's happened in the game, mm-hmm. maybe injuries, success rates, anything like that. Have you ever watched a game and said, okay, I know the math says this. I actually would advise somebody to do the opposite in this particular case. Are there circumstances that pop up that make it a reasonable thing to not follow the suggested model? Yes, there are, but comes with a big caveat but it has to work in both directions. So 
what I mean by that is like, we often hear coaches say, so it, it absolutely makes sense, like matchup factors. And we have started incorporating this. So we now do consider like, if it's fourth and three, the chance of you converting is not just league average. It's how good your offense is, how good their defense is. But there, there might be matchup factors that we're not taking into account. You're our left tackles out uh, there. We're beating up on their corner, like whatever, you know, those things, of course, they like, of course, those things matter. And so I think it is totally fair to consider them and even, and even know that your model might not be incorporating them, but it's got to work both ways. What I mean is that coaches, you often hear coaches say like, yeah, uh, league average, we should go for it. But, you know, given that how well our defense was playing, given that, you know, X, Y, or Z, I felt like I would just punt it, which is fine, except you never hear the opposite, which you should hear just as often, which is, you know what, the analytics guys upstairs, they said we should punt it, but like we were destroying their interior line. So we just said, whatever, we'll just go for it anyway. I don't, you know, like they said, they, they said punt, but we're, we're just going to, we're just going to run. And uh, is that like, even possible to be more aggressive than the analytics would suggest that is, you should be? It, it is, is possible. It happens. It does. It actually like, that's how we know. I know that we, how, how far this has come is that there are times when coaches are now making moves that are more aggressive than our model. And that's like, that is really interesting that that happens now. Have you been involved in conversations with teams or like, how has this, how have we gotten to this point where teams have, have come to accept this information and then incorporated it into their game plan and decision-making? Oh man. I mean, it's a long, like, it's a like, there were just a lot of people that got this into the consciousness of, of football. I mean, there was like a famous paper by a professor named David Romer in like 2004 or something like that. First touched on this, like Brian Burke, my colleague, um, who really like used win probability with fourth down. And that's when it really kind of like exploded um, was a huge, a huge reason I think why we're seeing um, fourth downs today look different than they did 15 years ago. Um, there have been a lot of people uh, that over the years that have like had an effect. And then obviously there's a lot of people within teams that have an effect, right. Who, who are working with their own staffs and going through doing their own research and coming to the same conclusions, like, Hey, it actually over the long run, it makes a lot more sense for us to just be going for these fourth downs because the value of possession matters so much. That's the other factor is that because the offense has gotten so much better over time, like field position matters less possession matters more. So I think every coach would agree with that, you know, compared. And so they all, and so that, that shifts your calculus, right? Like if I punt, I guarantee I'm losing the ball here, but right. I might be able to keep the ball. Yeah. They, they if, if I don't convert, they're 35 yards closer, but like 35 yards is just like, you know, that's just two, that's just first and second down for Patrick Mahomes. Right. So like, uh, like, you know, so I think that's, that's, that's kind of the, kind of the factor there. It's been amazing to watch, honestly, like it, like it, it really has been amazing to see how, how this has changed. What do you think is the most misunderstood thing about analytics that you hear? Ooh. I think, well, a lot of times people say like, oh, you lack context and, um, it's kind of the opposite, like the entire basis of almost everything that in football analytics is usually like, or so much of it is rooted in EPA. And the entire idea of EPA is to incorporate context, to know that like a four yard gain on third and 10 is basically worthless, but a four yard gain on third and two is worth a tremendous amount. And that the defense is going to play completely different depending on those two situations. And so like, we should, we should, we should treat them differently. Like we should, we should note that a four yard gain is a failure. Like you moved, you effectively moved backwards. You, you know, you, you literally moved forwards, you hurt your chance to win. Um, and so I think that's the, that's the thing that um, I guess I hear a, a decent amount is like, yeah, lacking that context. Um, and that's, that's probably what I'd say. You hear a lot of like, do, do you account for this? Do you account for this? Do you account for this? And those are good <laughs> questions. Those are good questions to ask. Like they are good questions to ask, but sometimes it's like, okay, but in your mental model, are you accounting for 
every single factor and are you properly weighting them or are you or are you like overweighting the fact that it's raining and you know they travel these to west or whatever and like um so that's that's like the, the point of comparison and those are good quite you know they're good they're good, good questions like it is important to consider like all factors but it is i think those things can be overweighted in people's heads like so myself included. Yep. No, right? I know we all have these preconceived notions about what is true for football. That's what Absolutely. I think is so interesting about all this data. Is I think it's interesting to find out that something that I think isn't actually true. It you just have to be willing to kind of let that go and accept the information. Totally. It's all the time you're sort of like seeing new things and then and then it's okay, what like why is that? Was I have I been wrong this whole time and like being willing to both accept that I may have been wrong previously, or there's something I'm not, I'm not thinking about um, with like the way I'm looking at these numbers now. Evidence matters. Thank (laughs) you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Lindsay. This has been really fun. You can follow Seth on Twitter at Seth Walder. And you may be interested to know, I asked after we were done talking about the other side of the NFL analytics poll he talked about. You know, he said that the Browns and the Ravens were at the top for teams who incorporated analytics, leaning into things from a resource and decision-making standpoint. As for the teams on the other end, the Titans and Washington, which is kind of interesting considering Ron Rivera's riverboat nickname, right? Apparently goes for it less than his reputation suggests. So if you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. The NFL Roadshow is also available on the SXM app, free for most subscribers. Just download it today and tap podcasts. For video clips of the show and more, follow me on Twitter, Lindsay underscore Rhodes. I'm also on Instagram, Lindsay Rhodes NFL. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Andrew Emmer. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. And a special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Hope you have a great day, everybody. We'll see you back here on Wednesday. Serious XM Podcasts.